0: friends and family. What a joy to be in this glorious, holy, colorful, rich place where the Holy Spirit has been present before we ever arrived and was within each of you as you came in through the doors and brought your presence, your smiles, your welcome, your love for one another and for the Lord. And I am so grateful to be among this family of God. So I've been keeping up with what's going on here at Open even though I serve up in Gainesville, a little farther up the road. This is my church home of many years. And I've seen that here, Jonathan and this worship team have been exploring this ancient disciplines of spirituality and they're displayed for us in this sumptuous spectrum of colorful practices, like an artist's palette, splashed with meditation and study and prayer. And I really appreciate that That Jonathan has helped us by explaining to us exactly what palette is all about. It's, it's not those palettes we use for storage and freight, and not the kind of palettes that some people apparently have built houses out of. And I'm really glad it's not those kind of pallets we used to have when I was a little kid and all the family got together and the kids slept on the floor on a pallet, like sardines rolled out, although that was a lot of fun. This week, pallet is something of an oxymoron if we think of it in terms of taste, of our, of our tastes, because the spiritual practice of the day is Fasting. And so, um, I want to address right away the elephant in the room because I know that most people have this immediate response to that word, and um, I've been hearing a lot about what that means. Most people think immediately of these things, see if you're one of them. They think of food, right? They think of hunger, and people say that makes them think of lack and of suffering. But most of all, I'm told it makes us think about chocolate. So there's a happy thought as we approach Easter. And I want to recall that there is a most significant passage in the Bible back in Deuteronomy that speaks to us of the meaning of food in our lives. And I think this can direct our conversation, so let's go there today. Deuteronomy 8, hear the word of the Lord. Before we hear the word of the Lord, let me tell you a little bit about where we are. This great patriarch, Moses, is speaking to the children of Israel. This is after the 40 days in the wilderness, this long time of, uh, of lack, of uh, seeking the promised land. And they're just about there. They're almost to the promised land. And Moses reminds the people how God has been providing for them in the desert. And he says this, remember the long way. That the Lord your God has led you in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. And he humbled you by letting you hunger and then by feeding you with manna in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Thanks be for the reading of the word. These were God's chosen people who set out on a journey without a map and without food, and they had to trust God to show them the way, and they had to rely entirely on God to provide food for their needs. Are we any different? It is universal, well, maybe it's just very American to tell the truth that There's a lot of fear and loathing about this idea of fasting, of not doing something that we could freely choose to do. It is vaguely unappealing to our modern tastes. But fasting stands the test of time in nearly every religion and society throughout the ages as a way of curbing our human tendency to compulsion. And its real value is this. Fasting helps us realize our own capacity to encounter the living God. Can you believe that this morning? Let's say capacity together. Capacity. We have that capacity. We have this God who can come and be with us. Fasting expands all the ways that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. In Psalm 63, we have heard that when we seek God, we will be filled. We will satisfy our souls through God as with a rich feast. And so there's nothing to fear. So it's been spring break, right, for a lot of us? It's this spectacular time. It's been beautiful, maybe not so much today, but as I was coming up with our message and praying about it, We are having these beautiful spring days, a nice prolonged time instead of one or two days like we often have here in North Texas, and the bulbs are up and people are getting outside, and it's almost time for yoga on the square again, and music under the stars. I'm so ready. I hope you are too. These vibrant displays remind me that our creator God is an artist constantly recreating our world and recreating each of us. We have been told that the image of God is planted inside each one of us. This means that we can reflect that image to others from within when we move beyond surface living. This palette of practices leads us deeply to the place within us where we are already filled with God with creativity and light and love. In the brightest of seasons, we can see and feel the truth of this with God, life within us. And yet in the midst of even the best of times, often there remains a sense that there is something more, a longing beyond our current experience. And in the wilderness times, When we are lost or uncertain, we feel most profoundly that lack, that emptiness. This is fascinating talk about tasting and foods, how we consume, what we take in. This is talk about diet. A couple of weeks ago, Jonathan told a story about uh, being in college and passing by this book that had a mysterious title. Maybe you were here. He talked about... Uh, It's down here called Celebration of Discipline. Now there's an oxymoron. It is a classic and I can highly recommend it if you haven't already gone over to recycled or used books and found a copy or ordered it from Amazon. It has wonderful detailed uh, ways of engaging and practicing in all the spiritual disciplines. And today I want to share with you another classic, uh, a book that has become Uh, one of my go-to's, by Marjorie J. Thompson, Soul Feast. It is an invitation to the Christian spiritual life. Marjorie Thompson begins by calling out the fact that there is a hunger abroad in our times. And she says that there is something missing from the diet of our rational and secular and affluent culture a hunger for spiritual depth and for integrity. I think we all sense this longing and this hunger. There has always been this sense that there is something more, that there's somebody out there, Even back in the caveman times and all through history, people tried to make sense of all the things happening around them. They made gods out of the sun and the moon and explained the tides and the forces of nature and the rhythms of the seasons, knowing that there's something more, some meaning, some cause. And they long for that. Whether we're Christians, or Jews, or Muslims, or whether we consider ourselves spiritual, or religious, or seekers, we all know there's something about not being fully satisfied. And I believe that this yearning in itself is evidence that there is something more. Whatever our beliefs, we all seek ways to satisfy our hunger in ways that are holy, And in ways that are not so much, right? In ways that sometimes take us farther away from God. But most of us here today are leaning the other way. We are more likely in the other direction, stretching toward God. So let's get to it. What we're talking about is a spiritual fast. So here's our working definition. A spiritual fast is abstaining from an action or a behavior for the purpose of creating space to be with God. Maybe not quite what we thought. The fast isn't something we randomly choose to give up, like pizza or chocolate, of course, or driving too fast or Twitter or you fill in the blank. The focus is not on self, but it's on God. So a spiritual practice is not for show. It's not about gaining points and there is no judgment. Thanks be to God. But it's an intentional, it's a spiritual choice. Jan Richardson is an artist and happens to also be a wonderful United Methodist minister. She wrote a book called Sanctuary of Women. And she suggests that we may need to unthink To unhide, let me say that again. She suggests we need to unhide from God. I love that word, unhide from God. When our lives are overfilled, we might discover that we are distracting ourselves from God, trying not to come face to face with our creator. Perhaps that is the habit. That is the thing that we need to forego to make some room and to clear some space. So why do we continue fasting here in the 21st century. There are some age-old promises that we can still rely on today, and I want to tell you about some of the rewards that you might not be aware of so far. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's taken for granted that people fast. This was um, a social norm for so many, and people knew when and how to undertake a fast and how to break the fast, and so we don't have a lot of how-to's, in our scriptures. But we do know some hows and whys of what has happened. So way back in Exodus, in the 24th chapter, God called Moses to come up on the mountain, on Mount Horeb, which we also call Mount Sinai. And and there, Moses engages in a fast for 40 days and 40 nights. He goes without food because he's busy taking down all the words that God is giving him. So he's there with his chisel and his tablets, with his, with his early iPad, and he's working diligently, and it's kind of slow going, so there's no time for food. And he's more hungry for God than he is for food. He's more hungry for bringing God's word to God's people whom he loves and leads. And Through his faithfulness, we receive these words. These are our commandments. These are the words that gave us the beginning of how to live with God and with one another. And so in this promise, the story is that through fasting, these things can happen. We can enter God's presence, and we can receive the words. God can speak to us directly, to you and me. And then there was the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah's story is a little different. It kind of happens in the reverse. Maybe you've heard of Jezebel. Jezebel was this evil woman who was out to get him. He was being chased by Jezebel who wanted to kill him. And he's trying to run and get to Mount Horeb again to get to God, to that holy mountain. And he just can't go on. He's, He's exhausted. And he lays down and he asks to die. He's fasting from life. So what does God do? Well, God sends an angel, and he touches Elijah, and he says, get up and eat, or this journey will be too much for you. And he does. Elijah takes the food, and on the strength of this meal, this one meal, he gets up and goes on his journey for another 40 days and nights, fasting for that time, and reaches safety and security with his God on the mountain. For Elijah nourishment comes in advance and encouragement and he's prepared for this long period, this long journey to a place of safety. And when we're preparing to embark on something new, on a quest, on a new job, on a new adventure, on the unknown, we may remember this and be encouraged and strengthened for our time. But it is Jesus who most of us remember. This story of Jesus in the wilderness who fasted for 40 days and nights and became entirely famished in this time of Lent. For many of us, we are imitating that journey. That time when Satan came, when he was at his weakest and said, if you are really the son of God, command these stones to turn to loaves of bread. Jesus had the power, Jesus had the means. Certainly, Jesus had the hunger, and the desire. There's no doubt he was weary and weak and discouraged, but Jesus loved his father more than food, and Jesus clung to the words that God had given long before this time of trial, to the words God had written in the ancient scriptures, those same words that Moses took down with his early iPad and given through the mouth of God to Moses, he says to this evil one, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In the first centuries of the church, as men and women were looking to follow the ways of Jesus and figuring out what this life, what this new way, with a capital W, with the way would be all about. They found that their lives were too busy and too full and that the life and the culture around them was just so distracting that they decided, in many cases, to go off to the desert and they went to Syria and Palestine and they went to Egypt. They were searching in the wilderness there and trying to leave behind everything that separated them from God. These are the desert mothers and fathers. We call them the Abbas, and the Amas of the desert. They explored a full palette of colors. They were exercising and practicing, and they were stretching themselves towards God. They established this rhythm of life around prayer and scripture, and they entered into silence and into fasting. But for others, the rhythm came instead in a balance between solitude and community, between contemplation, and action and they found their own personal palette they found an artistry in their own unique way of discipleship and I share with this now I share this now with you because each one of us loads our own brush our own practices and I pray that we will meet God as they did in silence and solitude and in life with others this God who provides manna in the desert and wellsprings in every empty place. When we are seeking God and stretching towards God, we have to trust. We need to know that this God who made us is also reaching out to us and seeking to embrace us and seeking our restoration, our flourishing, seeking to bring us home. I'm reminding of monks who have a spiritual practice of weaving baskets. They weave this place, they create a hollowness, and then they fill it with their prayers. There are so many ways to practice our ways with God. Fasting is creating a room. We offer our capacity and our trust that by choosing not to fill ourselves, we will instead discover God is already present with us, this God who calls us beloved. So what does God bring us in this place? I mean, what's, what's going to happen there? Well, God brings grace. Our Methodist faith is grounded in the belief of a God of grace. John Wesley, who founded Methodism unintentionally, had an unorthodox unorthodox and very practical approach to following Jesus. He also wanted to meet people where they are. And at the same time, he embraced this palette that we explore today, but he called it by a more traditional name. These are called also the means of grace. Methodists believe in a grace that is prevenient, a grace that goes before us. Before we know it, before we can even ask, we believe in the seeking, reaching grace of God. And so the means of grace are just like the palette we have talked about here. Along with fasting, there is prayer and presence, worship and searching the scriptures and taking communion, taking part in the sacraments, and there are many others. Wesley believed that we could learn to deny our self-will and to align our desires with God's will. And so he called for us to avoid frivolous pleasures. So watch out. Here's some things he said we should not do. No horse racing. (laughs) Expensive clothes. I'll spare you some of the other details. (laughs) It's very entertaining. He did himself practice regular fasting twice a week, and then at other times, seeking guidance and in intercessory prayer. But Wesley was quick to criticize physical suffering. There was no desire for us to harm ourselves physically. We respect this body that God gave us, and so that is no part of what we're talking about today. The focus is entirely on embracing God's will. So before we practice making space together today there is this one question that almost all students of spiritual formations ask. They say, so what's going on here? What's happening when I engage in this spiritual practice, in this means of grace? I mean, sometimes it just feels like nothing. Sometimes I I think God is there, sometimes I feel the spirit, and sometimes I wonder what else I might have done with that time. So here's what one of my very first spiritual teachers tells us. Are you ready? It's none of your business. (laughs) Well, it's pretty harsh, right? Wow. So what, what God's doing in that time, in that space, is something that is not about us. Our part is to show up. What matters is that we do it. We choose the color that we will, how we will how we'll show up. We set a place and a time and a day and we have a plan and that's the discipline part. We choose a color and a means of grace and then our job is to be faithful. We show up. Faithfulness is showing up and that is something we can do. And then we are to trust and know that we will be transformed aware or not of what is happening. This God who calls us is at work in mysterious ways, and all will become clear, or not. Now we take up our brush, we're gonna turn to our canvas, and we're gonna paint with our color of the day. We're gonna practice the art of fasting. Maybe you've been thinking about what you would like to give up if you want to engage in this, where you will create a space in your life for God. So, what I have for you may seem a little um, playful, maybe hokey. Under your chair, or you may ask for someone to bring you one in a basket if you don't already have one of these little plastic Easter eggs. This is our metaphor. This is our model of what it can mean to create space. So if you'll take your little egg and open it, you're going to see that it is empty. The egg contains this space for us. And so let this symbolize for us the clearing of space, the promise of a fresh beginning of the reality that we, too, can receive a renewed innocence, a clean slate through our Lord. So let's try something together. And remember, this is an experiment, right? We're practicing. So if you care to, sit up straight, and with your feet on the floor in a neutral stance, balanced, half an empty egg in each hand with your palms up, We're going to prepare together to enter into prayer. So here we stand. Here we sit at the threshold of prayer. And we set a boundary. We orient and turn all our attention to God, all our mind, all our body, all our spirit. And I invite you now to look into this emptiness and to inhale a deep, full breath, and then to exhale, and deeply inhale again and release your breaths as you relax and release, and breathe in again, thinking the name Jesus. And as you exhale, Lord, again, Jesus, Lord, Jesus, Lord, and now let us pray together, O God, our creator, artist, parent, beloved, Giver of life and all good things, let us be empty. Show us how to pray in this place. I am for you, and you are for me. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely yield all things to your pleasure. For you are mine. Will you say that with me? You are mine. And I am yours. Let's say that. I am yours. Enough. Enough, enough, more than enough for you, for me. Amen, amen. Friends, let us consider now the fast that each of us might choose. There's a little slip of paper and you can write or draw on that paper what it is you'd like to take a break from or maybe release forever you might put that paper inside your egg or maybe you'd like to pray about what it is what it would be and make that choice later on this could be a pretty hokey little exercise for us and it could be something you can, can carry with you It could. Maybe it'd be helpful to have something to touch and hold and carry, maybe to see by the sink or in the bathroom or on your dash and remind us of our intentions. Open it from time to time and talk with God about your fast and listen and let us remember to unhide, unhide ourselves from God. And let us silence the voices of judgment And condemnation as we stretch towards God who is reaching out to us. Let us learn to pray with cupped and open hands like a basket, woven for prayer like the empty space inside this little egg. And there remember how Jesus came at the end of his wilderness journey after resisting the temptations of this world, how Jesus relinquished everything, how Jesus gave up everything, even life, and how Jesus returns now to the place in your prayerful hands with his own body and fills them with the bread of life. When we trust the fast, when we open with waiting hands, Jesus breaks the fast and fills us beyond all that we can ask and beyond all that we can ever imagine so what happens in the means of grace what happens when we fast what happens when we take time to be with God we will be satisfied as with a rich feast amen